Good morrow. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your liege for this week, TJ Hafer. I also have with me on my council, PC Gamers, Fraser Brown. Welcome back. Hello. Did you just say good morrow? I did say good morrow. Oh, it's going to be one of these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hosting. Of course it's going to be one of those episodes. I'm I glad guess what to I be should here. be saying is, what do you mean by those episodes? Um <laughs> Yeah, you haven't you haven't been around in a while, uh, but we're going to talk about some Crusader Kings. So I'm glad to have my my CK2 buddy, my other, the only other person on the three MA cast who like put everything else aside to play as a hedgehog in Crusader Kings in the midst <laughs> of dumb. all the all the other strategy madness that we had going on. Yeah, Crusader Kings Two Holy Fury. Uh, the biggest expansion for Crusader Kings in its entire life cycle, both in time, in terms of like development time, number of features. They've also just said it's like the fastest selling expansion ever, which is pretty crazy with how many times we've declared Crusader Kings to be dead on this very show. Um, what do you think it is, Fraser? What what has made Holy Fury such a phenomenon of a of a of an expansion? Animals, TJ. Lovely animals. I mean, there are lots of things, really, but the uh, the animal kingdoms, which are just an Easter egg that Paradox did not advertise at all, kept it nice and secret, uh, they're the highlight. You can create a, a random world where not all, but a good portion of the counts, duchies, kingdoms, and empires are ruled by ducks and dogs and cats and elephants and polar bears. It's brilliant. And then your vassals and the people in your court could also be animals. Uh, and the, the thing is, is like the actual change to animals doesn't actually do anything. It's an aesthetic change, but it has a very transformative effect of the way I appreciate the game. Like the mechanical changes, the random world, shattered world thing are a separate thing. Um, but just being able to play as a duck and go and have jewels or go on crusades as like a giant <laughs> angry elephant my, my best friend was a hedgehog called mr grumpy nice <laughs> he was nice. like a duke or something somewhere in like north africa and we became friends he became friends with a polish duck <laughs> wow it was a great that, friendship yeah that's the hilarious thing about it is like you said it's it's very cosmetic so it's like you can have a dynasty of like Normans that marries a dynasty of hedgehogs and like their kids might look human, but they'll grow up with like hedgehog culture and have <laughs> hedgehog names. Like it gets even more absurd the, the longer you play through uh, to where I've, I've seen some just very, very funny combinations. You can also have animal looking characters that don't have like animal names or cultures or anything like that either which is pretty they've been funny. raised human or right, you could have yeah. like an egg they're like an egg is a a, a character <laughs> yeah uh-huh no it's, it's yeah it's it's really and it, like i think a lot of us kind of discovered it by accident too because it's you load up this new random world feature which is supposed to allow you to play I feel like it's the biggest expansion feature. For, it's it's huge. Crusader Kings has ever put out. Like, there's so many options where you can customize all these tiny little parameters of like how the world is going to be set up. You can have it be like semi like historical feeling, where like it's historical cultures and religions, but they're just kind of mixed around. Or you can have it like make up religions, where it'll be called like flax safardianism or whatever and their symbol is like an octopus and they have aztec mechanics like they could sacrifice people to the blood god or whatever it's it's pretty crazy but yeah there's like there's this one option where if you click through it enough times it won't show up unless you actually click through it several times but this animal kingdoms thing comes up and it's like this whole extra feature that's just hidden in here which is I don't know. I just I love that they have time to do that. S still, that that paradox is giving them like, okay, yeah, if you want to spend your development time on that, go ahead. And uh, I think it's worked out. It seems like a lot of people have kind of 
caught on to, oh, I might want to play Crusader Kings again when they see screenshots of a dude playing as King Sanic of the <laughs> uh, Emerald Kingdom, which is, that's that's what really sold me on playing as a hedgehog, because, you know, I am, <laughs> I am Sanic trash, so. I, I just think that it's so good from a role-playing perspective, because mm-hmm. so much of the, the stuff that we love about CK2 is the way that it uses flavor um, and that it doesn't just sit there and that they've actually developed these kind of RP, this air of, of role-playing game, even beyond the mechanics. Uh, and being able to play as a weird animal really kind of ties into that. But when I think about the animal kingdoms and like when I've been playing with the expansion, it's all connected to the the random world features, the kind of custom religions. There's so much going on here that's like happening just at the very beginning as the world's being generated. It's creating these completely like almost unique cultures and religions that are going to like have an effect for hundreds of years. And the borders, even though the actual names of the provinces and things like that are the same, the borders are completely different because you can have, for instance, like a shattered world where all everyone's a count Basically, there are no kingdoms, there are no empires, or you can have a world where there are sort of analogs for the Byzantine Empire and the Holy Roman Empire. They're kind of sometimes in the same sort of geographical location, they have the same sort of influence. So, for instance, my duck was my duck (laughs) kingdom, which was basically like Poland, Lithuania, that sort of area. Uh, Next to it was this great dragon empire full of all these scaly dukes and it was essentially the holy roman empire which i kind of tried to marry into and take a chunk out of which did not go well at all and my uh, my duck king died in battle and then my duck queen his heir was assassinated by her oh. dragon husband uh, oh no leaving but then like the actual the, this dukedom within that empire then got inherited by their son so they had like this little duck duke in this like <laughs> empire of dragons and it was really because the, the, the game ended with the assassination of my queen she didn't have any heirs on her side of the family so i never got to find out what happened to this little duckling duke i hope he's all right <laughs> i i really still wish they would have an option or like a keep playing button where right. you just select a new Switched. character if your yeah. dynasty ends. Exactly. Because you can, you can always go back and like reload an older autosave and switch characters, but then like... I think I was playing was, Iron Man, so... Oh, yeah, if it's Iron Man, you can't. Also, like, if it was if the autosave was five months ago, the story might change because of RNG stuff, so it's, yeah. Th- they definitely need to add that. Like, just, just make it disable Iron Man. Uh, I don't really care. Uh the dynastic aspect of CK2 stopped being the driving, like, engine of CK2 for me a long time ago. I'd love to be able to play landless characters. I'd love to be able to just play, like, a childless abbot for one generation and just kind of play through his story and then move on to someone else. I usually jump around between dynasties at this point anyway if I'm going to be playing for, like, more than 100 years because... It can it it could get pretty boring to just build up the same dynasty for seven hundred years. Well, you're, a lot of the cool just, stuff is happening outside yeah. of the dynasties anyway now because yeah, like like some of the new features that we got with Holy Fury, like the uh, the bloodlines and things like that, and the new kind of the warrior uh, guilds clan, something like that, whatever yeah. they're called. They yeah. are like completely really outside of these dynasties they're about individuals going on quests and missions to better themselves they're you know it's really kind of society stuff um from uh, monks and mystics uh but kind of expanded i really like the war it's warrior lodges that's what it is. Yeah, i really yeah, like the warrior lodges they're very cool they are they're i thought they were going to be like based on the dev diary about it i thought it was going to be really cheesy but it actually is it's pretty down to earth by crusader king standards uh the kind of missions and stuff they send you on where always you're dueling other members and uh then there's that there's like the big epic legendary quest that you can unlock if you're the leader of the society have you gotten to that yet uh no i have not oh it's so uh, great i can't 
my animal kingdoms don't work out well and I keep playing them and it always seems like it ends in disaster. I pick a fight with the wrong person, marry the wrong person, befriend a suspicious duck. I don't know. It's not good. Yeah, that's... Befriending suspicious ducks is just the fast way to just get your entire realm destroyed. I was a devil-worshipping dog for a little while. That was good. Oh, nice. Assassinated again. Everyone's trying to assassinate Fraser. It's horrible. It sounds like you need better spy masters. Yeah, that's, you know what? I'm not paying enough attention to my council. <laughs> I'm pissing them off too much. Often they're the ones killing me. This okay, is the issue. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that, that probably. That's Getting all the warnings of your spy master, your chancellor, your, you know, they're all pissed off with you. And I'm like, to hell with them. I worship the devil and I'm a dog. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I still end up dying. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah I, there's. I was going to say, so there's there's this really cool like end cap mechanic for the Warrior Lodges where if you become the leader of the lodge um, and you get enough prestige, you get this uh, decision to hold a legendary festival. And it can only happen once every 100 years. And when you right. hold the festival, this legend bar appears on the society screen and everybody's, anytime they earn society currency it fills up that legend bar and when it gets all the way full you as the leader of the lodge get to go on this legendary journey which it basically picks a faraway kingdom for me it picked the abbasid caliphate and you just journey there and you it's like it's like a season of an anime show you just beat up all (laughs) of their greatest fighters and if you win all of your battles uh you get to found a new legendary bloodline which is pretty awesome yeah, the so bloodlines are really cool. They they seem low impact, but then I, I guess when you play longer, you start to realize uh, how much extra flavor they add because they can even open up like extra succession mechanics and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Like if you play as a horse nomad and you found like a badass horse nomad bloodline, and then later down later on you settle down as a feudal lord, like it'll. Members of that bloodline will still be able to do sky burials and stuff, which is kind of a cool um, method of letting you keep some of your older tribal heritage around, I thought. Well, for me, I find that the bloodlines, what that did was kind of, it was encouraged looking at CK2 as this long running thing instead. Like, and it's a bit like with the great quest at the end of the Warrior Lodge that you're mentioning, which you have to wait like a century to do this, or it only happens once every hundred years. Like these are enhancements that are slightly further into the game. Um, I think sometimes the best part of CK2 is starting a new game. You get this kind of cavalcade of events. You have all of these objectives. You have this whole world laid out. You have all of these ambitions, and sometimes you kind of miss that and you just want to go back to the start. But this encourages you to keep going, to to develop a dynasty that goes on for generations and generations and gets more, not necessarily powerful, but certainly interesting uh, as you have these kind of heroic figures appearing. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and it's also can be a lot of fun to see like, if you're one of those eugenics people, how many <laughs> bloodlines you can concentrate into your own family by uh, marrying, like, okay, I'm going to try to marry the the Charlemagne bloodline into my house, and then I'm going to try to, you know, marry the, uh, you know, whatever other, you know, the, the William the Conqueror one, if you're playing from the 1066 start or whatever. To where eventually you can stack up a pretty significant number of bonuses just from your character rattling off who all of their ancestors are <laughs> and, and nothing else. I was a little bit, um, I guess, taken out of the immersion slightly by the fact that so many of them give you personal combat skill, right. which, like, the developers say that it's like, oh, you're not actually a better fighter. They just, it's just that your opponent knows that you're part of this bloodline. So they're going to be more afraid of you. But it's like, if, if, if I'm in India and some guy shows up and he says, I'm the descendant of Carl the hammer. 
I'm just going to be like, who's that? I, I don't know why that would make me more afraid to fight you. Um, Maybe you just be intimidated sense, by but... the very concept that you, you know, the very idea that you came from a legendary bloodline. They don't actually know who you are, this legendary <laughs> figure is, but they're like, ah, oh, if you're connected to this person I've never heard of, you might be a big deal somewhere else. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, did you play with any of the like the non-animal version of the random worlds by any chance? Yeah, I did a little bit, but then I went back to the animals. <laughs> it's just such it's a novelty. We've been playing this game for like seven years or something, six uh-huh. years, and it's the the animal stuff. Just it it gave it a little boost for me. It made it feel new again yeah. in a way that mechanically it would be impossible to make it feel that fresh again. Um, I kind of just felt like playing with this world that I knew, even like a sort of shattered world, but like normal, non-animals, it was still uh-huh. a little bit familiar. Yeah, that's the weird thing about it, because you can, you can set it all the way at like, to where like all of the cultures and all of the religions will have made up names. But I found that because it was still on this map that we're so familiar with, I was still kind of thinking about like, okay, so those are the, those are the pseudo English and like those are the pseudo Spaniards or whatever. Like I, I almost wonder if they if it would be possible for them to do something similar to EU4 where it randomly generates the map too, because mm. it is a little bit weird playing on a map that that you already know, but with all these cultures and religions that are completely unlike anything that you know we actually had in real history it it seemed just kind of weird like i wasn't i wasn't able to get fully immersed in it but when you're playing is like the animals with none of the historical stuff and it's all random cultures all random names although the provinces still have the same uh, historical names it's yeah it feels like a genuinely not necessarily a new game but a spin-off you know right well and you're not as concerned about like immersion at that point anyway because it's like okay there's there's talking hedgehogs like at this point <laughs> i find that you know, very any, immersive <laughs> yeah any sense of realism is out the window i'm just playing this because it makes me laugh and it makes me happy so um which you know ck2 can play that role for sure um there's also some like features that i didn't feel like were going to be huge that actually ended up being pretty huge um, I don't know how much you've messed around with like the sway and antagonize stuff that they added. Uh, yeah, probably not as much as you have <laughs> for personal character. Yeah, it's it's similar to like um, Way of Life, where like you look at the feature list for that and you're like, oh, okay, that sounds kind of nice. But then when you realize like how much of CK2 is sort of based around your character's lifestyle and how they interact with people around them, I found that was like a huge thing that. You know, if I go off to war and uh, one of the enemy commanders kills my brother, I can actually antagonize that character until we become rivals, the guy that killed my brother, and and then, like, duel them and kill them. Like, it kind of gives you these interesting ways to play with the best parts of Crusader Kings, I feel, which are, like, the interpersonal mechanics. Um yeah, it's just personal well, diplomacy, of... really, isn't it? And it's but it's like right. manipulating those characters. So you're kind of instead of being really proactive, you're allowing them to make the move to sort of come to you because you've pissed them off. Right. Yeah, because there didn't used to be. I mean, you could send your chancellor or your chaplain to make people like you more, but there was never a way that you could like goad people into not liking you, like get them to try to like throw the first punch which i think is a really just fun and interesting way to interact between characters and it feels quite um, appropriate i mean diplomacy is often about getting you know under someone's skin and infuriating them so they'll make a mistake and that's really what what you're trying to do with those mechanics right but i i did um find that I didn't really have to work very hard to piss people off in my animal kingdoms. I was playing very aggressively, I think, as well. <laughs> just, like, you know, not even using the, the new mechanics to piss people off, but just constantly, like, trying to pinch little bits of land and 
get in people's faces and trying to kind of manipulate things. Mostly I just really wanted to be as big and powerful. But when I was playing as the ducks anyway, there's this dragon empire next to me. What if there was a duck empire? Why do dragons get the empire? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it seems like unfair, especially in a world where humans aren't rulers. So humans aren't like, ooh, these dragons are so impressive. We're going to make them in charge. It's an even playing field. A hedgehog could run an empire. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that there's just a hint of racism there, uh, or speciesism. <laughs> I think, you know, the smaller, more mundane animals, they don't get a fair enough shake. Dogs are pretty well catered for, though. Yeah, the, my, the my... emperor of good boy. <laughs> yes, no, my favorite was the first time I loaded it up, there was just a giant blob on the map called Baristan. And I was like, perfect, Brilliant. amazing, perfect. <laughs> I think uh, I'd polar bears show up in Africa, uh -huh. which I thought was interesting. Like, that is interesting. Like North Africa. Um, maybe, uh, maybe they arrived there by invasion or something. In yeah, the, uh, it could be. I like you know, the idea, yeah. that, you know, even before the start of the game, there's history going on. These little yeah. kind of, they come, came down from the north. Maybe they're a little bit like, you know, the Vikings traveling everywhere, right. setting up new kingdoms. If I if I were an intelligent polar bear, that's probably what I would be up to a lot of the time. I just felt like North oh. Africa would surely be too warm. Uh, so I always a little bit worried about them, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they uh, they they can do what they want to do. It's it's not up to us to judge <laughs> where polar bears decide to make their kingdoms. Um. So we've got a lot of new stuff for Catholics in this expansion, too. Actually, a lot of it is in the free patch to the point that uh, someone on Twitter was joking that they should basically call this expansion uh, Crusader Kings 2 Crusader Kings yeah. because they uh, they completely redid how Crusades work now to where you have, like, a primary Crusade claimant who gets, like, the top-level title, but then, like, all the Dukes can be you know, sons and nephews of, like, other people who participated in the Crusades. You can end up with this sort of cultural mosaic, which is sort of similar to what the actual Crusader states really looked like. And you can have these, you know, weird, like, breakaway kingdoms, kind of like Antioch was in real life. Um, I haven't actually played a lot of Catholics uh, since this came out because... When there's new pagan features, TJ pretty much plays pagans. And also, you know, I've had to screw around with the Shattered World and the Animal Kingdoms a fair bit as well. Um, but I'm curious, uh, Fraser, do you think this is something that CK2 does well when it kind of plays to its its basic fundamentals as far as like the catholic feudal world or do you prefer when they go off and do things that are a little more out there well it's weird because obviously ck2 very quickly stopped being about crusader kings it really right it never was it was pitched that way and it's a big part of it and certainly when you first play or at least back in 2000 and i don't know 11 when it came out um you're able to you're you're kind of inclined to jump into one of those kind of crusader states and the sorts of uh kingdoms that the game recommends for you these sorts of big lumbering uh christian uh or islamic nations that are going to be involved in the crusades i just i'm not that interested in the history of christianity to be honest <laughs> i'm sick of it to be honest always hearing about them so yeah i i find like the earliest starts the charlemagne and viking starts were always really a lot more interesting even if you were playing uh, a, a christian kingdom and i never really it's basically after we got a few expansions i kind of just stopped doing crusades uh even if i was playing an appropriate nation i wouldn't really get that invested because i just there was there were so many more interesting things happening all over the world um, but the the idea that this is like because what this is going to be the last expansion or something probably maybe we're really yeah, we're I, reaching the final stretch at the very least. Yeah, I've heard. I've now heard word that this will not be the last expansion. Right. 
But it's because getting they, there. Yeah. And it's, uh, they said something like, if when CK2 is actually over, you'll know about it because they'll have like a Viking funeral or something. Right. But, <laughs> but we're certainly at the point yeah. where Paradox would be mad to not be thinking about sequels in the future beyond right. DLC. And, and I kind of, it, it wouldn't be a bad final DLC going back to the beginning, kind of reassessing the Crusades, what's fun about them still. Uh, and I think they've managed to do that. There's also some other stuff that was happening in the Monks and Mystic stuff, even though it was a bit more supernatural and out there and weird, um, where it did feel like they were thinking again about Christianity and religion a little bit more, but it wasn't necessarily tied to Crusades, even though it had an effect on Crusades. Uh, so this does seem like, not like a return to the beginning, because there's so many weird things that this expansion introduces. Uh, but it does feel like they're not reconsidering it, but thinking about how they can still keep the crusading element fresh after like a million years. Yeah, and they've added like some famous historical crusades that can fire too. Like you can have, there's an event chain now for the fourth crusade where you can have a rich Venetian man decide <laughs> to go kick all the Greeks out of Constantinople. Um, and like established the the Latin Empire and stuff, and I think it's cool that that. Excuse me. I'll let Michael cut that. <laughs> no, Michael, keep it. Keep Gassy TJ. <laughs> <coughs> Everyone loves Gassy TJ. Now I'm gonna TJ. start laughing, which is gonna Best make me one. start coughing. Yeah. Uh, he's a he's a uh, holiday spirit that is known to arrive around this time of year in many parts of the world. I think he's a Pokemon. Uh, you can catch all the different types of TJ. Yeah. He's gassy I'm, TJ, I'm, heavy metal TJ, pagan TJ. Yeah, there are, I'm pretty sure he's in Smash Bros. now, too. Sleepy so. TJ. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's one that you really know that uh, you've, you've found yourself in good company. Sleepy TJ uh, evolves into sleeping in a bar TJ at yeah. the table evolves to sleeping through the first part of a press conference tj getting his um, shoes stolen <laughs> yes yes um okay so inside jokes <laughs> that four people who watch this who listen to this will understand yeah we might uh, what was i gonna too. say <laughs> yeah uh i was talking about the fourth crusade i do think it's cool that those things can kind of happen dynamically now um whereas it previously you would kind of have to try to make them happen mm. if you wanted them to actually happen. And I do like that approach. It's, it's something that I think is a little bit divisive among paradox players is like, should, should there be these kind of railroady historical events that cause these things to happen that are reminiscent of specific things that people expect to happen during this time period. Um, but generally I like those generally, I feel like they just add texture. They add sort of a sense of curated alternate history. And that's something that I've always really liked with, uh, when they do add stuff like that in there. It's a historical game. Why wouldn't you want these big, important historical events? If you don't, there are other ways to play the game, especially now. Um, right. like I can't imagine something like, I don't like because you're not being, railroaded into them these things are happening it's right. like a, a a world that sort of reflects kind of how history played out and then you react to it which is that's kind of the interesting thing about ck2 is you reacting to to things going on and being pushed and nudged in different directions like i like how the if you get the fourth crusade you're sort of uh you have a th uh, a through way to get to the latin empire it's like inspiring you to create your own Latin empire. Whereas before you would have had to sit there and be like, right for this playthrough, I'm going to do all these things that allow me to create this empire. Whereas here it's like, Oh, actually this event is like creating an opportunity to do that. Right. So we still haven't talked about the very best feature, um, possibly ever introduced to crusader Kings period. Uh, even better than Vikings being able to raid by sea, 
I have a feeling even you know what this is going to be, and it's going to be really boring. <laughs> even, even better, even better than uh, Pagan Reformations, even better than being able to play as Genghis Khan, uh, they've finally added a game rule that makes exclaves go independent on succession. I knew it was going to be realm. succession related. Oh, I, God damn I it. am so happy. I am so freaking happy with this. I hated just seeing random blob of Scotland like sitting in the middle of France or just like all these just weird exclaves that would form because somebody married a count's daughter <laughs> and like inherited a random county in you know the middle of the Balkans or something uh yeah I I think the map over time like over the centuries looks so much better now that this is actually in effect <laughs> Like, it, it actually looks somewhat like logical borders, which is, it just makes me very happy. I'm an OCD person. I hate border gore. And uh, I, I I really like this. It, it's 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 nice. It's not the sexiest we, thing, though, is it? It's more of a little fix. <laughs> oh, oh, it's sexy as hell. I if, want people if, to know that, like, last year, <laughs> when we were at PDXCon, which is... Uh-huh. Uh, these days it has fans as well as press. We were sitting in the hotel waiting to go to this uh, press briefing and one of the, the fans came down and I think probably assumed that we were Paradox players here for the show. Um, uh-huh. And to, to a group of strangers just shouted, who wants to talk about CK2 succession laws? <laughs> At that moment, everyone gets their phone out, suddenly Uh finds themselves pretty busy, apart from TJ, who spends the next, like, hour in a heated discussion Uh about CK2 successful. Well, here's the thing. This is is part of why I love PDX Cardinals, because... I like talking about succession laws, and in my everyday life, I don't have a lot of opportunities to do that. (laughs) It's, like, one of the only times of the year where it's like, oh, I'm around people... We're into the same weird, bizarre, specific shit that I am. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about succession laws. Um, if yeah. you are that person, it's fine. I'm not being mean. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but it was unusual. Well, come down yeah, you've got this group of strangers. It's like let's talk about succession laws. It's so the, paradox. <laughs> there definitely is. There definitely is a dynamic at any gathering of strategy players. I think where there's a certain number of, uh, you know, people who might not really realize when you are, are done and need to go do something else, particularly if they're, if you're there for work, like we usually are. Um, so, you know, if you, if you are, uh, if you are engaging a developer or a journalist in a chat, uh, don't at any point in the near future, (laughs) Uh, just be sure to be be uh, respectful of their time, and uh, just everything talk to will TJ. be great. Leave me alone, yeah, or just come find me and talk to me for an hour about CK two succession laws. Um, we do have actually some new succession yeah, laws that new. came in. Holy fury! Give me that pagan Can you believe elder council. <laughs> we we pulled off a transition. We just pulled off an actual transition all by ourselves. Woo! Michael, you don't have um, to do anything. <laughs> we, yeah, we've got it sorted. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, HRE election now, like, heavily favors giving elector seats to places, like, actual specific titles that add them, like, historically. Like, the Bishop of Cologne is, like, heavily, heavily weighted to be an elector. Uh, I think Saxony, maybe. It's most of the same ones that are in EU4, which I thought was kind of odd because it kind of it feels like it goes against some of the dynamism of crusader kings like i would think it would just pick the seven most important princes to be hre electors as opposed to just seven that got it historically but uh yeah there's also eldership which is interesting because slavic and baltic unreformed pagans now get this weird it's basically where the old people elect the next king, <laughs> from what I can tell. Uh, like, the elder title just goes to older people, which this is the Middle Ages, so that could mean, like, 40. Well, there's um, also the, like, the the elders decide how the kingdom or whatever is distributed. 
as well. Right. Amongst heirs. So they're like the ones that actually decide it. Which kind of sucks. If, Have you seen if you that? don't like them very much? <laughs> like, are not giving it to any of your friends. Oh, so they can actually break it up? Because I played... Maybe I'm just too good, but I, I played a couple games as under the Eldership Succession Law, and they never broke up my kingdom. Like, that's what I thought was weird about it. Like, if there are, like, multiple heirs, they are the ones that, that they'll then dole out the kingdom, basically. Huh. They, they, or they've got the, the final, final say on how it's doled out. Um, but I wonder if it was can, just because they That's where dueling comes into it, though. Right. So you can start up a fight if you're like potentially like if someone in your family has been given something, then you can actually like kill that person and bring yeah. the realm together. So you can well not murder them, but like actually have like a formal duel. Uh, you might warrior you might lodge kill style. Them. <laughs> you might actually kill them. There's, I mean, you, there's would, a chance you would kill you will, them, yeah. but you're not just murdering them senselessly. It's totally legit, and everyone's yeah. like, "Yeah, that was a good good kill." Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, if you're playing like your Viking realm and your brother gets half the kingdom and you get half the kingdom, you can just duel your brother for the other half and now the whole thing's yours again, which I, makes it... I just don't think that's a great way to structure a kingdom, to be honest. <laughs> it's like, if you don't like it, fight the person just doesn't seem that legal, uh, no know. matter what they say. It's just Vikings it's only constantly trying to fight each other. And why are you always so angry, TJ? Oh, uh, well, there's a lot of reasons. I don't want to get into all of them on this podcast. You know, it's 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 some deep stuff. It's so, some deep, dark stuff. So did the did um, you find the succession law? Because you're so into your succession laws. Did you find them the changes positive? I mean, you haven't noticed all so, of them if, if you didn't I do, get your realm well, divided. The, yeah, the elective gavel kind and being able to like duel if your realm splits up, that's that's definitely interesting. It's kind of a uh a way to keep your realm together if as an unreformed pagan, which is cool. With eldership, they never actually broke up my realm, which was the weird thing. Like they would always just pick I don't know if it's cuz the elders liked me a lot, if that's why they were like, "Okay, yeah, we'll just back whatever heir you want." Mm. But to me, it just functioned like elective succession like i never had my lands break up which is why i had the impression that it was really overpowered because normally as an unreformed pagan you don't get the luxury of not having your lands break up every time your dude dies um so i'm wondering if that was working as intended or if i just i don't know they've changed how be in a really reformed good pagans work as well haven't they Right, yeah. So I we almost skipped over that. Yeah, they, they made it. I've got uh, your back, TJ. Don't worry. <laughs> you can actually like choose your doctrines now, which is pretty cool, and decide what kind of religion you want to be. Which I was very happy about because I one uh, one they allow you to basically make it so your religion has no religious head, which helps my pagan RP greatly because I don't think that. Reformed Norse paganism would have a pope or a caliph or anything like that. Uh, it was very decentralized. There was no formal priest class. I, I can uh, talk your ear off about this on Twitter. Oh, please do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can even tell you the, the ones they need to add. They need to add an uh, um, autocephalous temporal leadership where every king is their own filkir. Because that actually would make sense. Exhausting. Hear that paradox? <laughs> I am. I am kind of an exhausting person to be around. Yeah. I, did you have you uh, have you been able to reform a pagan faith yet? Yeah. So the the new uh, options for like creating your your reformed religion are really neat. Uh, it's feels appropriate because why would you really? There are like mechanical benefits, but I felt like in the sort of the narrative of CK two, I wanted more things drawing me towards changing my religion and this is like well you get to make this completely sort of custom religion for yourself picking from all these different sort of strands of faith drawn from all these other ones and you make something completely unique it it's especially 
handy if you're playing with one of the sort of shattered or random worlds where you want something maybe more fantastical and otherworldly because you yeah because these these uh religions it's like basically paradox just when okay let's do our most like deep dive lore fantasy nonsense they've all got like holy books and things like that uh-huh. uh, and weird cultural quirks it's fantastic and uh, I, I also, I do recommend people play with the Four Doctrines mod, because I think uh, two two is just not enough. Mm. I like being able to pick four. Um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, I would love to see this for Christian heresies, too. Like, where you could found your own heresy that's oh, like, you're, yeah. you, you get to kind of choose how it differs from the Orthodox religion. That would be, that would be really cool. Because you've got, like, dabbling in different elements of Christianity with right. the uh, societies. Um, it, do- it makes Christianity seem a little bit more vibrant, but you don't actually get your own proper religion, um, per se. So, yeah, that would be mm-hmm. cool. And, and since there's probably going to be more expansions, maybe they will do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, we need some way to model the, uh, the Hussites in, in Bohemia. <laughs> Even EU4 doesn't model the Hussites properly. Jeez, how many historical rants is TJ going to take us off on this uh, this episode, is the question. Um, oh, <laughs> the government we didn't talk about when we were actually going over uh, eldership and uh, the new HRE election is they've, they've redone Byzantine succession to where... Much like actual Byzantine succession in the real world, it does not make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> it's like every everyone who has a title of at least commander gets like a weird, differently weighted vote on who the next emperor is, like based on all these factors and all these like ceremonial offices you get them. So it's like elective, but how special you are determines how many votes you get. <laughs> and... uh like designating someone as your Caesar actually matters now because people are more likely to vote for them as the next emperor. So you can almost kind of pick your heir as long as people like you. Um, I did play around with this because I keep wanting to like playing as the Byzantine Empire in CK2. I still have never gotten to a point where I really feel like I'm having a great time playing as the Byzantine Empire in CK2. They've they've done all of this stuff to try to make it feel like an empire and not a feudal state, and I just don't think I just don't think these basic game mechanics can really handle it. Honestly, um, I haven't it, even it all, played. The, when was factions? When were they introduced? That was the last time I played the Byzantine Empire. Factions. That was like uh, the th- was that Republic? Not Rep- it wasn't. Was it? Yeah, that it, might have been. been no, it wasn't that might have Republic. been the old gods patch. It wasn't the old yeah. gods. Give me a second. That was let's have a look. That was a long time ago. It was years and years and years and years ago. Yeah. I think it was. It might have even been the, the sort of Islam patch because Legacy uh, of Rome. See. Being an idiot. Okay, yeah. there you go. Yeah, so obviously. So yeah, Legacy of Rome, which was 2012. That was the last yeah. time I played uh, Byzantines. So it's been a little while. Yeah, I mean, especially now that we've played Imperator, it's like I I, I just feel like CK two is inadequate at modeling that type no, of. Some of us have played state. Imperator. I've not. I was ill. Didn't you? I thought I thought that I've uh, had it played for me. <laughs> okay, so they didn't actually. But I've not, give you hands on no, time because okay. I wasn't there because I was like in a bathroom somewhere crying. <laughs> I see. That's kind of what I've been doing for the last week. I was I was pretty out of it. Um yeah. Uh yeah, I just I wish I wish CK2 could model it well with like governors and stuff, but it just doesn't doesn't seem like they can quite get it to a point where it's like okay, I'm not I'm not just a uh you know, a leader of a hereditary feudal realm. I'm actually, you know, the elected leader of this bureaucratic empire which i don't know i think we talked about this before with horse lords and with the republic where it's just like ck2 is never going to be great at that which is why they uh they need to eventually come out with a sequel 
that See, uh, rethinks the core game mechanics. I kind of want to ask you about the sequel because it was something we, we we did one of these just me and you episodes on yeah. monks and mystics and kind of discussed the end or future of the game. And I've just been. I don't think a traditional par. Well, we don't. We've never had paradox do a sequel this version of paradox because uh-huh. this version of paradox really started with ck2 right so ck2 is probably the first of the new wave of paradox games that will get uh, a sequel i think right it feels like th- this is the one that's furthest on that's probably done nearly it's going to max amount of dlc because what else could you add to this kind of version uh I don't think it's going to be a conventional, here's the game again, with some improvements and a slightly better engine, because it's like... No, I don't the... think so either. Yeah, it's not just going to be another version of Clout Switz with a sexier map and a couple new systems, but like five years of DLC in front of it. Like, I think it might even be better to make CK3 even more distinct from the other grand yeah. strategy games, lean into the the role playing even more because that's no. what you, you think the other way around. No, no, no. I think you're totally right. right. I think uh, I think absolutely. It's go- I think it's going to look a lot more like Mountain Blade. Probably yes. That is the um, when you were actually talking about playing like some nobody, some surf, some yeah. unlanded warrior. The first thing I thought was Mountain Blade. And I just, oh, I, a CK2 Mountain Blade style game or CK3 run, that'd be incredible. It would be. It would be amazing. And and uh, I like I feel like one of the fantasies CK2 still can't deliver to me that I really wish it could is like, you know, the random, you know, forest dwelling uh, asshole who like ends up becoming a king or like the street kid from Paris who ends up becoming king or whatever. Like, the lowest level you can start at is a count, yeah. which is like, if you if you understand the peerage of the Middle Ages, that's pretty far up there. That's even, like, you're not even just a knight. You're not even just a baron. Like, you're a count. That's, you're doing pretty seems, well if you're a count. <laughs> yeah, it seems lowly in CK2, but that's, like, serious one percenter stuff right there. And, I mean, when they added tribal rulers, it's like, okay, yeah, if I'm the tribal chief of norland in like far-flung corner of norway in 769 yeah that that's kind of like starting from the bottom and working your way up but uh um yeah i just i really i want to be able to play characters who don't necessarily start as a noble i mean we have a joan of arc event chain but it's like you can't be joan of arc she kind of just shows up and and you can you know have joan of arc around but you know it'd be cool to actually play as her you know the peasants crusade why can't i be one of the peasants and go on crusade and then like oh you did well peasant now you get some land in the holy land like i would i would love that or even to just be like a spy like a spy master i've talked about this before i think too where like your main resource is like your network of contacts and you don't really own any land but you can move kingdoms just by you know dealing in the shadows and stuff like that yeah because that's the thing when you are a member of uh your superior's council because you can be a spy master and chamberlain and all these sort of ch- is it chancellor or one of these things um you're not really doing that it's like an honorific and you might get a couple of events and things like that but you're not really going out and doing those things uh and you're still a king or a duke or a count as well. Right. You st- the game hasn't changed. It's like a little detour briefly, but it's still the same thing. Whereas actually being, this is your whole reason for existing, at least at this point <laughs> until you get a new job. And it's like, it opens up a lot of interesting things. And you could still have, like I know CK2 is all about those historical dynasties, but you could still have that. You can, because... You can start one. So you're a nobody whose goal is to create a family that runs through the centuries. It's still the same sort of overarching goal, but you're just starting much lower down the ladder and you have to overcome 
a, a very different set of obstacles to go from penniless peasant to count than you do from like count to duke, which is basically just a count with a bit more stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's I. It seems like Holy Fury sold well enough that we're probably gonna get at least one more DLC. Mm. I'm trying to think about what that would even be. Like, are, I know you said earlier you don't you you're you're not sure what more they could add to this current version of the game. Well, that's um, necessary. There... There's more stuff right. that can be added, but is it worth adding it to a game that is already? ridiculously huge i mean it's it's gotten to the point now where there is just way too much dlc and it's i don't have a problem with paradox's dlc model i think it works well i think each Uh expansion comes with a massive free patch so it's also like it's not a money issue either it's more that someone coming in now to this game has so much to try and parse it's like i i would not want to be new to ck2 right now I think it would be better to just start like with a com- completely fresh, with a new foundation. Even if you if you had to, like if they came to you tomorrow and said that you had to come up with uh, a new CK two DLC that fans will like and that's going to sell well, what would you try to put in there? Um, you know what? I'd be like Game of Thrones. Make it official. <laughs> I I'm pretty sure they've tried. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were actually in talks at one point. I wouldn't be surprised to try to get access to that license. Because um, I'm and I'm talking like specifically yeah. like that actual mod. So working right. paradox working with the modders because I think it would be after all this time and all the effort they put in paradox comes out with like an official Game of Thrones DLC that'd kind of be shitty. Uh, yeah but if they were doing it in collaboration with these people that have been like designing it and the thing is they've already collaborated didn't paradox introduce incest because of the game of thrones mod or something possibly i i remember it was i'm pretty sure the story was told to me in a bar so it might not be true uh but i'm pretty (laughs) sure that like there was at least uh some game of thrones stuff determining that paradox was going to add uh incest so like there's already <laughs> been a kind of collaboration yeah but i just think obviously whenever when anyone describes it it's always like this is kind of game of thrones game the best game of thrones game uh so to actually have that official would especially as a way to like end ck2 uh that would be quite a big deal but yeah it's probably not going to happen but that would be my well, suggestion paradox even if they can't get that license, like at this point, we've got Shattered World, we've got Random World, we've got playing as animals. Yeah, like a fantasy maybe, world. Yeah, like maybe they're afraid of it because of Sunset Invasion, but really they could probably just put out a DLC that you can toggle on and off that just turns on a bunch of cool fantasy shit. Like, all right, you click this option on and now dragons are just going to show up and desolate the countryside and you can like go out and try to slay him or you can try to tame one uh some people are secretly vampires now uh, and you have to like become a vampire hunter to like go hunt down vampires but you might get bitten and turn into a vampire yourself like i feel like an entire dlc worth of that Certain people would complain about it because it's ahistorical but certain people are going to complain no matter what they do and that would actually be interesting is just an entire DLC full of optional like medieval fantasy ele- setting elements. I think I think that could be really cool. And I Especially if you used it with Shattered World. Yes, that would be really good. But myth yeah. and magic and things like that. That's why I'm yeah. happy to defend monks and mystics because okay, it's still historical. People believe that these are real myths and beliefs it's like saying you can't have catholicism in a historical game because we don't actually have evidence that god exists and like right but it was a real religion (laughs) and there were real cults and beliefs i think a lot of people had a bit of an issue with the whole satan calling it like satanism for instance Uh because of like that's like a a modern kind of religion um Uh but who cares it's the devil i mean who's no. Don't take that seriously. People believe in the devil, in. that's for sure. 
<laughs> people believe the name. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess the other, the only other stuff I would maybe want to see them add, like, if they're going to keep going with CK2, which, I don't know, I kind of want to see what they want to, what they're going to do next now, because I've played more CK2 since Holy Fury came out than I have with, like, the last seven expansions, probably. Mm. Um, so I'm definitely, like, back on my bullshit now but uh uh some some like expansion of holy orders would be nice if they could turn like the hospitalers and the templars and and stuff into um similar to what they did with the hashishin order in monks and mystics Mm. where you can actually become like a disciple of them and and interact with them in some interesting ways like that i don't think they're ever going to make holy orders playable they've kind of gone back and forth on on that but uh i i still think it would be fun to play as them in some way it would still be fun to play as the pope it's kind of funny that he's like yeah that's the most important the most important guy in the middle ages and you can't really play as him he's like the gm uh (laughs) yeah exactly um and i think part of the way they've set up the code for crusader kings makes that difficult because the pope ends up receiving a lot of the events that are like global events where he's like the target for all this stuff that has to fire off for the, the dynamic historical events to work properly. So that might not actually be possible. He's the boss that you've got to overcome. I feel <laughs> so Holy fury. Uh, I'm definitely playing a lot more CK two now that it's out. Do you feel like this is going to get you back, back into CK two in a big way or just kind of a fun distraction? I love it. If you'd asked me a few years back, is it going to get me into the game? Again, in a big way, I would have said, yeah, absolutely. I, for, but for me, it's like this is a, an old game now. I have so many new games that I have to play every day. It's hard to justify investing the same amount of time as I once did, even though I think this is probably, this is like at least like top three, top four expansions. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of better ones or ones that I've enjoyed more, and it's like a small list. I think expansions in general are really good but the top tier ones this is this is up there but i'm ready for something new i'm ready for a new game i'm i, I don't want more dlc um i want to hear what paradox has been working on yeah i i kind of agree um i do think it sort of restored my faith in ck2 dlc mm. and that there's it still has they still have interesting places to go with it this current team um, but yeah, if I had to choose, I would still say, you know, we have to decide one or the other to devote resources to more CK2 or to immediately roll that into CK3. I think I'd still say I'd rather they just start working on CK3. So there you go, Paradox. You'd be told. Yeah. <laughs> Get on it. Yeah. Day it. Yeah. But I'm definitely not in that like weird, uh, melancholic like he's an aging old knight that will never know his past glory and uh needs to shuffle off the mortal coil or whatever melodramatic uh wording i used in my editorial about it um because i have i have a deep deep emotional care about crusader kings but uh anyway you would have never known (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, not at all. It's it's not like I based my career around it or anything. Bring back CK2 Chronicles. It's it's back. Is motherfuckers. it? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not been paying ch- attention yeah, to Go check out the, the Lorsworn Gaming Channel uh, and uh, akopedia.lorsworn.com, which is the official wiki uh, for the oh, new Chronicles. I wish I had something to plug. I have anything uh, to plug. Well, you're you have you have a new uh, shiny new job since the last time you were on the show. You can you can read me. Yeah, talking about video games, I guess every day, PC gamer. <laughs> yep, doing the news. <laughs> I remember the news beat. I did the news beat in the U.S. for a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's great. It's tons of fun. I love it. <laughs> Not being sarcastic. It sounds really sarcastic. I'm being like genuinely sincere. It's great. <laughs> Glad but, you're enjoying uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> I am actually really liking it. Yeah, three moves ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network and produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net. 
or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Three Moves Ahead, as always, is supported by listeners on Patreon, so head on over to patreon.com slash 3MA if you would like to help pay for our therapy and uh, our, our, you know, various strategic war meeting. I shouldn't say anything about what the Patreon money is actually used for, because... One, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it breaks down. And two, I should make any claims that I do. Uh, so for Fraser Brown, this is TJ Hafer. And we'll catch you guys next time. What's your favorite succession law? <laughs> My favorite succession law is elective gavel kind. No joke. 100% right. true. Because it allows you to build up gigantic powerful realms and then just watch them explode into successor kingdoms and it's glorious yeah i don't have one because i'm not a nerd <laughs> <laughs>